In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We have begun our retreat with these words of, of Saint Jose Maria, the way he started every time of prayer. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here. We have told our Lord these words so that we can place ourselves in his presence, in the presence of God, and ask him to help us make a good retreat where we can examine ourselves, examine our conscience in his light, which is the only light that is worthwhile viewing ourselves in. In, on this retreat, for particularly for educators, we come to our Lord to learn, just as the as the twelve apostles were gathered by our Lord many times around Himself, whether it was at the beach or on the mountain. Here in the Midwest, we don't have mountains, but. But I guess the next best thing is the real presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And, and obviously it's not the next best thing, it is the greatest thing. And we firmly believe, Lord, that you are here, that you see us, that you hear us, and that you can help us to be transformed by you so that we really undergo a conversion of heart. This weekend is the first Sunday of Lent. And in the first Sunday of Lent, the Church makes us reflect on the temptations of Christ. In all the cycles of the liturgy, the three-year cycle A, B, and C, we consider the temptations that Christ suffered in the desert. And given that that is the case, and this is a very particular weekend in, in Lent, I thought that I, I would take this theme of the temptations of Christ and weave the themes of the meditations accordingly for the teacher, for the educator so that we can look more deeply at the temptations that we face as teachers, the, the temptations of the teacher. What are those temptations? To give more homework? I don't know, maybe. To give more detentions? Sometimes. But more deeply to see how we can actually use those temptations that we face, particularly in our profession. And as it says in the letter to the Hebrews, which I have here, I have given, I've given you homework already, I've given you the outline, uh, so you can pray about it. 
For in that he himself has been tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. This is, this is a great uh, verse of the letter to the Hebrews. It tells us that Christ himself, because of the fact that he was tempted, he was able to help those who are tempted. And not so much because had he not been tempted, he would not uh, have been able to help us, like he would have been powerless or something like that. No, he's always able to help us. But the reason why he's able to help us more is because we see him as more as a person that we can relate to a lot more. We see him mysteriously in his weakness. We see the all-powerful God who has become a man and mysteriously has even wanted to be tempted by one of his creatures, the devil. It's a creature, it's an angelic substance, an angelic creature who rebelled. And it's an extraordinary mystery how that could be. And, of course, as in this same verse of the letter to the Hebrews, it says that he became like us in all things but sin. Wherefore it was right that he should in all things be made like unto his brethren, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest before God to expiate the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered and has been tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. The word has become flesh. The word has become one of us. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, and God spoke to many prophets and to us through the prophets in many ways. Last of all, in these days, he has spoken to us by his son, who has become a man, who has become one like us. And not only one like us, but one mysteriously he wanted to be tempted and feel the tug of the flesh, of the worldliness. And, and we'll go through each of the temptations that he suffered. And we know that, that our Lord went out into the desert and he was also mysteriously led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, we have a problem here because in Scripture it says God does not tempt anyone. God tempts no one. So what does it mean to be led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil? How could the Spirit do this? Aren't they on the same page? Isn't the Holy Spirit friends with Jesus? You know, I thought they were on the same team. After all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the greatest team in the world, you could say. The, the greatest unity of, of mind and or intellect and will that could ever exist is one God. How could the Spirit lead him into the desert? Well, this is a the mystery of how our Lord wants us as well to be tested because virtue is tested. And only when it is tested 
can it be basically called virtue? And of course, we don't want to uh, test our own virtue foolishly by putting ourselves into temptation. But if we, if there is no uphill, I mean, the, the popular saying, "No pain, no gain." I mean, if if there is no resistance, how can we gain in muscle? You know, and somehow we, in the spiritual life are also tested. And through temptation, we grow in virtue. Somehow, our Lord has allowed the devil to do this, to give us an example of how to overcome temptation. And we say in the Our Father, lead us not into temptation. We know the Holy Father is considering a, a new, a new um, wording for that in English, because in in Spanish, it's already there, um, and in other languages, perhaps, which is, y no nos dejes caer en tentación, it says, and do not allow us to fall into temptation. Because do not lead us into temptation can be misunderstood as God, you know, tempting us, and God tempts no one. But he does allow for temptation. So it's this permissive will so that we may, might become stronger. And sometimes, even though he gives us the grace to overcome every temptation, he, he sometimes even allows our faults, our sins. We sin every day somehow. The just man falls seven times a day. And that's the just person, right? says scripture. Imagine if if we weren't all that just. Well, we, we, we cannot be surprised that we fall many times a day. We all have original sin. We all have this, you know, this original sin, they say, is the one doctrine that does not, that you don't need faith in order to believe in. Right? You could just look at the New York Times. And it's proven, right? It's empirical. All the murders, or the Chicago Tribune, or whatever. Any local newspaper will give you all will just give you evidence, heaps of evidence, reams and reams and reams of evidence of original sin. Somehow we can't figure it out. Hatred, there's hatred, there's murder, there's you know infidelity, there's lies, there's all sorts of things. There's lusting for power and glory and vanity. We see it every day. And even if our Lord allows us to fall, we have to go back to the words of sacred scripture time and again. <clears throat> that St. Paul writes to the Romans where he says, where sin abound, grace abound all the more. So that even with our falls, in spite of our falls, we could say that our Lord forgives us if we approach him. And we can approach him because he has become approachable. He has become a man, and not only a man, perfect God and perfect man, but he has even gone to, fallen to the ground to the point of wanting to be tempted. He has become like us in all things, but sin. 
everything but sin. There's a quotation from Jacques Philippe in his book, Interior Freedom, where he says that somehow we have the right and freedom to be sinners because we are so weak. And when we fall, our Lord is there looking at us, inviting us to come back. He says, if you haven't read this book, I I highly suggest you take a look at it. It's really beautiful and very short. The freedom to be sinners doesn't mean we are free to sin without worrying about the consequences. That would not be freedom, but irresponsibility. It means we are not crushed by the fact of being sinners. We have a sort of right to be poor, the right to be what we are. God knows our weaknesses and infirmities, but he is not scandalized by them and doesn't condemn us. As tenderly as a father treats his children, so Yahweh treats those who fear him. He knows that what we are made of. He remembers that we are dust. God is, of course, inviting us to holiness, spurring us to conversion and progress. But his gaze never makes us feel anguished by the thought of not managing. We don't feel the pressure that sometimes comes from other people or the way we judge ourselves, telling us that we can never be good enough, making us permanently dissatisfied with ourselves and always guilty for not measuring up to some expectation or standard. As teachers... Sometimes we fall into the temptation, or we are tempted, to be perfectionists. You know. And you know, in this first meditation, which I entitled Temptation and Divine Filiation, our divine filiation, the fact that we are children of God, gets us off the hook from being perfect on the outside. Because we may confuse perfection with holiness. We think holiness is being perfect. Well, that's in a certain sense, that's true. But it's not about being perfect like the older brother of the prodigal son, if you recall. He was perfect. He did everything. He obeyed every command of his father. He didn't disobey like his other brother He stayed at home. He followed the rules. And he was profoundly sad. (laughs) Profoundly. What a disgusting creature, actually. He reminds me of like Gollum or something like that. On the inside, his soul was just full of envy and pride. That's not perfection. There was no joy there. It was kind of a disgusting vanity. Because, yes, he checked off all the boxes. I have obeyed this. I have milked the cows in the farm. I have done that. I have arrived on time. I am not like my brother. I am not like, you know, I am perfect. You know, this is the perfectionism that we, it's a caricature of perfection. And really, holiness has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that. 
really holiness is, is not so much about what we do to check off boxes, but about what Christ does in us and how we let him act in and through us. That's the point. And that is what divine filiation is all about. The fact that I am a child of God, a son or daughter of God. That I am free to actually be who I am. I don't need to prove myself at all to God. I don't need to perform because I will be accepted no matter how bad I am, no matter how many C pluses I get. <laughs> you know, how much pressure do mothers place on their children, you know, for for not getting an A. And then sometimes kids think that they have, you know, the kid, the, the child that gets an A is always, you know, praised and then the one that doesn't is always punished. And, and after a while, children grow up psychologically thinking that they're not good enough because they didn't perform like, you know, their sibling who is smart or whatever. And it calls into question their very identity of who they are. They are starved for affection sometimes, and they need, you know, to be affirmed. And you know, there's a lot of traumas there that have to be overcome later because they were not overcome properly when they were growing up. And I've seen that a lot. And that's the work of the devil: to confuse our identity. To not let us see ourselves as children of God, free to be sinners, so to speak, as the way Jacques Philippe puts it. And he knows that. He knows that the greatest treasure we have and the greatest treasure that our Lord has is his divine filiation. I am a child of God. Therefore, I own the world. It's kind of like, it's mine. Why? Because my father created it. It's for me. In fact, isn't, wasn't that the original plan of Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve were supposed to be ambassadors of God in the world. And they were, I mean, it's like, wow, I represent God. I am made in the image and likeness of God. And as such, I am a child of God. That's extraordinary. That truth alone, St. Josemaria says, will give us hours and hours and hours of meditation and that we cannot let go of. I am a child of God. You are a child of God. You are a daughter of God. Nothing can take your peace away. Nothing. The devil knows that, and that's why he tempts us. And in fact, he tempts our Lord. He tries to, you know, we, we, we know the three temptations, right? And we'll go over them. If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. goes to the pinnacle of the temple, takes our Lord there. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. If you are the Son of God. That's the form of the temptation. Notice it's not just about our Lord felt hungry after 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. Well, who wouldn't, you know? But it, you know, it got to him after 40 days and 40 nights. It just got to him. He said, okay, enough, you know, that's it, I'm giving up. 
And then that's when the devil comes. When you're, you know, down and out. When you're exhausted. That's when the devil comes. That's the moment of temptation. And that's when the devil, he doesn't just say, okay, turn these loaves into bread. He doesn't just say that. Because he was hungry. It was not about hunger. It was a lot more complex. The temptations of Jesus and our own temptations are a lot more complex. They will go to the core, to the treasure that we have deep within our hearts. And what is that? It is our divine filiation. Every temptation will have that form, that complex form. It's a twisted kind of form. It's not just about food. Just like the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, which we will also contemplate in, in the readings of Sunday's Mass. It was not about hunger. It was not about the enticement to the, you know, the taste of the fruit. It was not that. It was about their divine filiation, their relationship with God. That's what it was about. In the case of Jesus, the devil wants him to show, to prove to him that he is the Son of God. That's why the form of the temptation is always preceded by, if you are the Son of God, command these rocks to be turned into bread. If you are the Son of God, prove it to me, because maybe you're not if you don't do it. And our Lord has to resist that temptation of proving it to the devil. And Adam and Eve... It's all about the relationship with God. The devil says, you won't. You know, did, did, did God say you would die? You would not die. He just doesn't want you to know. Hmm. He's hiding something from us. That's what it must be. He deceived us. Now we have to take power into our own hands. That's what's going on in the mind of Adam and Eve. Hmm. We cannot trust him. We have to know ourselves and fend for ourselves. Individualism. In other words, but look look at this. Divine filiation, what is what does it mean to be a child of God? Or a child, just period, a child. We're all children. It means to be dependent on someone. We're dependent. There's no child that is simply independent. By definition, we are dependent. And Adam and Eve, what they want to do is be independent. That's the biggest fallacy. If we are, you know, not everybody's a mother, not everybody is a, a, uh, an uncle or aunt or brother or sister, but every single human being is a child, son or daughter. That means it is in our essence to be dependent. And so our temptation to be independent goes really against our divine filiation. to fend for ourselves and all that, and to not rely on anybody. That's the temptation. And that is the temptation also for the teacher. Because, well, we will see this. We will go over not only these three temptations that our Lord suffers in the desert, you know, the turning rocks into bread, 
being uh, throwing himself down from the pinnacle of the temple, bowing down and being you know to the devil and be given all the the kingdoms of the world. But also when Peter himself tempts Jesus to not go to the cross. And also how Herod tempts Jesus to perform a miracle. And also how all sorts of people passing by at the crucifixion tempt our Lord to come down from the cross. And you might say, well, okay, those are interesting temptations, but what do they have to do with the topics? We'll see. Stay tuned. You know, study or sloth, humility or vanity, truth or falsehood, unity or divisiveness, spirituality or worldliness, hope or discouragement. We'll see how these apply to the teacher specifically. These these characteristics are the characteristics that or the tension, these these kind of um, polar opposites. I, it, this is the tension that a teacher feels maybe every day. You know. And we have to overcome that. And we will see hopefully with the light of the Holy Spirit we will be able to see identify that tension. We will be able to identify where that is so that we can overcome. But the one thing that we have to do is when we examine our conscience, when we see, well, where we need to improve. One thing, we can go we can go to confession, we can pray, we can get advice, we can do all, all sorts of things. But the one thing we cannot do on this retreat is lose our peace. Because sometimes when our Lord allows us to see so many things, sometimes we may, you know, I don't know, Sometimes we lose our peace. Like, oh, how can I ever come out of the mud that I can, I, that I now see? You know, I was blind. Now I see. And no, because we're children of God. That's why. And where we see, where there is light, there's also strength. Where there's light for the, for the intellect, there's strength for the will to be able to actually do something about it. So we have grace. Look at what Saint Teresa of Avila says in her famous poem. Let nothing disturb you. Not even our sins should disturb us. We should simply be sorry for them and 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 approach our Lord with them. Let nothing frighten you. Be unknown. Everything passes, but God stays. Patience reaches it all. He who was God, nothing lacks. God alone suffices. God alone suffices. And that's exactly what, what we have to do, is to rely only on you, my Lord. Only on the fact that we are children of God, and so are you. We are children of God in the Son of God. You are our door, our gate to the Holy Trinity, Lord. Because by identifying ourselves with you as a son, we are then able to relate to the Father and the Holy Spirit the way you relate to them. 
We don't become, we're not called to become Holy Spirits. We're not called to become the Father. We're called to become Christ himself. Identify ourselves with Christ. That's why he became a man. So that we can have this door. And the fact is that once we are converted, as our Lord said to Peter, Peter, once you are converted, confirm your brethren. Because we have been tempted, we also will be able to help others. And so this is fundamentally a mission. You have a mission. And and when we leave this retreat, hopefully we will have this great mission to really bring many souls to Christ, starting with the people that that are around you, other teachers, colleagues of yours, parents of the kids that you teach, and then the kids themselves. And anybody in the school community, which is like a cultural hub that brings all of society together. Well, as we mull over these ideas, let us turn to Mary. We will always end our meditations with Mary, as St. Josemaria did, because she will help us to recover our broken relationship with God. When she lost Jesus at the temple, she almost lost her peace completely. And you can imagine, understandably so, a woman who has lost her child. It's a force of nature. Don't recommend you stand in the way. Especially after three days. They must have been at their wit's end. And but somehow she knows that he is God, and somehow she knows that this was done on purpose. But at the same time, you know, yeah, it was not supposed to be done. It was not, you know. And so instead of reprimanding Jesus, she, the best she can do is come up with a question. <laughs> Why have you done this to us? And what does Jesus respond? And of course, he has tension too, because he's like, well, I cannot reprimand her. Because she's my mother, i got to fulfill the fourth commandment. But I also have to fulfill the first commandment, which is love God above all things. And so he replies by saying, by inviting her to consider her divine filiation, or his divine filiation. Did you not know that I was supposed to be in my father's house? And Mary delved deeper into what it meant to be the Son of God for Jesus and for her to be a daughter of God. Let us turn to her and ask her to help us delve deeper also into our own divine filiation so that we too may overcome all temptation. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.